Welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name is Ray here and joining me this episode, it is KR Magazine editor Ben Wilkins. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you going this week? What have you been up to? Oh, pretty good, mate. Um, actually, I've been working on Kiwi Riders' old uh, R100GS. I've uh, replaced the rear shock eyelet bushes. And you know that this has been a, a, a labour of love, this thing. And uh, I've been, yeah, just making it better and better, getting it ready for the GS rally. What did I hear that you basically had no maintenance apart from fuel and oil done on it since Fiji bought it way back when? And the list that you've done is as long as your arm, and then you've still got about five or six things to do. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, it's uh, it's coming along. Um, needs another trip down to Two Cats Garage in Wellington for a cam chain and uh, a few bits and pieces but uh, yeah it's getting there I'm looking forward to uh, in a couple of weeks time we've got a, an episode of High Beam uh, on the R100GS we've got the R80G slash S Genesis as far as GS bikes go and that has been a very very eye opening interesting episode to listen to and edit um, and so in about three weeks time we'll have the R100GS as the, the second kind of focus episode uh, and, and I'm looking forward to what Matt can you know teach me about that bike yeah I mean uh, as far as I can tell Matt's a bit of a fanboy of um, Kiwi Riders um, R100GS every time he sees it he's like ooh I love it I think he wants one although I think the engine's a bit big for him he's a small ball fanatic yeah that is very true uh, I, I remember when we came back from our ride down around the Taranaki and he was uh, on his little CRF250L rally and we were trying to overtake a truck through the gorge and Matt's bike just couldn't do it (laughs) had it pinned and still wasn't getting there yeah. All right, coming up in this episode, do loud pipes save lives? You could own a Honda police bike and uh, other 90s models, motorcycles are just a little bit fugly. <laughs> we'll find out very shortly. Plus, uh, what fuel should you be running in your bike? We've got an update on that. And we've got your classic dad joke to round off the episode. Let's get into it. <laughs> Ben, you're probably a great person to be talking to about this topic. Uh, I wrote something in my notes app during the week, uh, and it basically says, it's amazing how design comes full circle. You can see elements of bikes like the R80G slash S, as I mentioned, Genesis as far as GS bikes go, in current day motorcycles, but 90s motorcycles to me uh, still feel a little bit fugly. Things like the the Fanduro and things like that, they just, they're a little bit like dated, but you look at current day motorcycles, the bikes like the R80 G slash S from 1980 would fit right in if it was a bit newer, like, you know, if it was brand new or in really good condition. Oh, for sure. I mean, that 90s period, they tried to sort of have all these organic curves on things that don't really fit with bulbous curves going on. And yeah, just like like you're talking about the Funduro and uh, Aprilia came out with a, um, a couple of bikes that were, weren't the most beautiful, but as we were talking about before we uh, started the show, the, the R80 GS and like our R100 uh, GS, we, I had the Motor Guzzi V85 TT here um, a couple of months ago, and they were both in the garage, lined up one behind the other. And there was a bit of an epiphany moment when we looked up and looked at the bike and went, wait a minute, the Motor Guzzi V85 TT is a facsimile, just a modern version of the uh, R100 GS. It's got 
um, the, the shaft drive. It's got the um, offset to the right single uh, rear shock. It's got a, a an engine with the cylinders sticking out the side. So instead of being uh, completely horizontally opposed, they're in slight a slight V. Yeah, the, the whole thing just looked like a, a, just a, a brand new but modern version of that same bike. So, yeah, absolutely. The genesis uh, of that bike, the, uh, the GS range, has definitely influenced a lot of bikes since then. What's prompted me to think about this episode is we've got a brand, we had a brand new episode of High Beam come out this week, Tuesday, a couple of days ago. And uh, it was the episode, it was our first kind of focus episode. So we're doing uh, an episode interviewing GS riders. And then the next week we'll do a focus episode. Then we're back to an interview episode. And that first focus episode, uh, Matt wrote it actually, Matt Daigillett. He wrote the first episode on the genesis of the GS bikes, which prompted me to look at some photos and look at some videos and then go to trade me and see if I could find one. Uh, I couldn't, long story short. Um, but that R80GS, uh, it looks like a brilliant, brilliant bike and I can see why it spawned this kind of whole uh, world of GS and adventure riding, right? Yeah, that, that adventure category, I mean, they basically, I mean, people have adventured on bikes for since motorbikes came around, uh, but that the GS did start that market segment. I mean, it, it basically saved BMW. That's why BMW loves that GS um, brand because it saved the company. So comparing the, the Motoguzzi V85 TT to the, the classic R100 GS, uh, you're saying, you know, they're, they're very similar. Uh, is Do you think that it's because Motoguzzi have have gone, right, this is a bike, this is a formula that works, let's do our take on it? Or have they just gone, that's what we need to do to win in this category? No, I, I think it's a mix of things. Um, obviously, Motoguzzi's had that um, uh, opposed V engine for many, many years. That's, that's a classic thing for them. But I, I think BMW is way ahead of its time with the shaft drive and side-mounted uh, suspension unit because you see you see that side mounted suspension unit on so many bikes now that don't have a rising rate linkage to save space within the package of that chassis package the shock is instead of being going up through the middle of the frame and up where the airbox would be they've moved it to the side um, so instead of having twin shocks they just made it a single shock and bmw did that years ago before they they even had a linkage so yeah um, I think they've hit upon something that BMW hit upon. I don't know if it was by chance or by uh, incredibly efficient German engineering, but um, Motoguzzi's come upon the same formula, which you could say isn't a bad thing. Now you've pointed it out, I'm going to have to go to um, go to Google and, and and show you know get two of these one a picture of each of these bikes side by side and and see it for myself. But I'm looking forward to uh, our next episode. Uh, where we do take a focus on another GS bike. So in two weeks' time, uh, next week we're going to have an interview episode, and the week after that will be our focus on the R100GS, which is the fabled uh, Red Baron. It is the Red Baron, yes. I think a lot of uh, old-school adventure riders in New Zealand will know the Red Baron. While it resides in my garage now and has done for a while, it's it's done all the big trail rides. It did the Pukamanu. It's done. Uh, oh, Kiwi Rider years ago invented the adventure ride within uh, New Zealand with John Nick way back when. 
and um, and and Reggie Pete McPhee, Kiwi Riders um, uh, owner and publisher. Uh, so this bike has been there and 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 done it, and it's still doing it. And further down in the series, uh, one of the later in, uh, episodes where we interview one of the GS riders, one of when we interview some well, you know, some experienced GS riders, we're going to be talking to a gentleman by the name of Falker who recently has picked up the sister bike or a sister bike to the Red Baron, another red. R100GS. Uh, so a little bit of a spoiler alert there, uh, but they're not they're not popular bikes for for no reason, right? Well, and also they're complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Falker's bike is beautifully, fastidiously maintained, and it's a lovely example. The Red Baron, however, is um, has been there, seen it, and done it. And it's the um, it's the war veteran that's got a limp, um, using a crutch, drink, drinking whiskey to keep himself going every day. Yeah, eye patch. <laughs> we gonna we're gonna have to take a, a focus on the Red Baron though, because uh, that last ride that you and I did uh, through the Gentle Annie, I realised that it's not exactly factory. There's a few tricks and uh, bits and pieces, a bit of bling on that bike in uh, some kind of less obvious places. Uh, I won't ruin it too far now, but um, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Well, it, it, it's also it's also got some 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 very obvious bling in obvious places as well. So um, going back to that, have you actually interviewed Veggie for um, the Red Baron for the? Um, uh, high beam podcast I haven't because every time I've gone near him with a microphone he said no f*** off uh, but that's where you should just um, phone him and chat and just record the phone call <laughs> alright you're giving me ideas now Hey, during the week, uh, Ben, I was on the internet and I stumbled across a for sale post on Facebook, on social media, and uh, this one was really interesting. It got me, um, it got me thinking. Uh, there's not many old bikes that I would buy, and when I say old, we're talking early eighties. There's not many personally that I would go looking for, apart from possibly the the R80 GS. Um, this one here, though, I thought was an okay buy. 1982 CB650X Police Bike. It still has siren and flashing lights and the panniers. It looks in pretty good condition. Uh, it's been in um, Neville Redden's collection for quite a number of years, and it's time for him to downsize. 6750 bucks. What do you reckon? Oh, I suppose, have you ever heard of the TV series Chips that happened in the um Yeah, it's 80s? exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, if you want to live out your chips fantasy, there you go, ready made. But be honest, be honest. It's it's it looks very chopperish. Yeah, I wouldn't be spending that much money on that bike per- personally. Um, not my thing. I would rather wave that money under Veggie's nose to try and uh, buy the Red Baron off him. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, interesting bike though. Very interesting bike. I think there's one of these in the um, National Police Museum in. Um, in uh, Potidua, I think I've got a. Fo- I'm, actually, I'm going to. I'm going to hunt that photo down and chuck it up on uh, social media. I think I had black nail polish on at the time. You did. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a debate raging on the internet for a very long time, Ben. A very long time, and I'd say it probably outdates my riding of motorcycles as well. Uh, The the, the saying goes that loud pipes save lives. Uh, Now, this um, argument flared up on social media again throughout the week, and I'm going to read you the post word for word, whether it makes sense or not. If loud pipes are not a factor in safety, and anyone hearing you coming, because it's because they can hear 
hear you or they will see you coming. You are there, but if this is not true, then why, oh, why do cops, ambulances and fire trucks have sirens that make a loud noise? Dare I say, could it be so that you can hear them and then look for them? Yeah. I... So that didn't make sense, but again, I'm going to paraphrase here. If loud bikes, if loud pipes don't save lives, why do fire trucks, police, and ambulances have sirens? Well, they don't sound much like like low bass motorcycle exhaust, do they? They're all like wah 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 I I don't think they save lives. I mean, people are, they've got their stereos on, they're talking on the phone. They've probably got the stereo up so loud that the only thing that cuts through that noise is is a high-pitched, loud, staccato um, emergency service siren, not your CB500 with a loud pipe on it. There's a point, actually. When was the last time you were on the side of the road when a fire truck went past you, lights and sirens blaring? Those sirens are a hell of a lot louder than your CB500 or your um, your R1 hooting down the motorway, at full, even at full tip. Yep, oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the only thing you... I mean, if you were going to look at this in a serious way... If you were coming up behind a car or trying to filter and you pulled the clutch in and you revved it really loud to the rev limiter, maybe they would hear that. But if you're not doing that, they're not going to hear you. All, I mean, most of the time, all live, all, all loud pipes do is um, alert the police that you're speeding and uh, to get ready with their speed gun for you and get their pencil out and wet it, ready to write your ticket. So your average emergency services siren is um, about 128 decibels, which is, funnily enough, 128 times louder than a 40 decibel uh, reading, which is where your standard off-the-shelf current model motorcycle is sitting, about 40 to 50 decibels. Last time I was a boy racer and tried to get a turbo Subaru through a warrant place, they had to be less than 90 decibels. So 128 decibels is a freaking loud noise. Well, um, sound is logarithmic. So um, I think something like three decibels or something is, is double is double the noise. I mean, they're probably the, the wrong numbers, but I know that only a, only a small increase. 100 decibels is not double 50 when you're talking no, exactly. decibels, right? It's kind of a, it's a, it's a sweeping it's a, graph. It's logarithmic. So it... it it, it changes massively in only a small um, increase. So, yeah. And interesting to see some of the comments here. Uh, police sirens and stuff face forward where your exhaust's facing backwards. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that because sound doesn't necessarily, it's not line of sight. It does kind of, you know, it does go a little bit forward, a little bit back. Yeah, it's going to be louder behind the bike than in front of the bike. But still, um, I, I think what it comes down to is if, if you want to have a loud uh, exhaust on your bike, and God, I love a loud exhaust on, on some vehicles. I'd hate to do a loud exhaust on a road trip. But if you want a loud exhaust, have a loud exhaust. Don't try and justify it as a safety measure. Well, I think... I think is what it comes down to, right? I think you've hit the nail on the head. If you want a loud pipe, buy a loud pipe. Just, yeah, exactly. Don't don't go and get it going, right, uh, of all the things I can do to be safe on the road, like training or some other kind of uh, preventative measure, I, I think buying the loud pipe is, is way down, way down the list. Buy it because you want it. <laughs> 
Now, last week we talked about uh, what fuel do you run in your motorcycle, and it came down to essentially what um, what the book says. Now, we said uh, that the MT-07 in the book says run 91 octane. Was a bit of a hypocrite, though, and I said I do usually run 95 in the MT-07 uh, for no other reason than I come from a turbo Subaru background and we always run 98 and 95. So we came up with an idea. We're going to run a full tank through the, uh, the MT-07 of 95, which is what it had in it, and then we're going to do a full tank of 91, Ben. Um, and I've just finished the full tank of 95. In fact, the the fuel gauge started flashing at me on the way home on Friday afternoon. The bike hasn't been ridden since. So first thing tomorrow morning, we're going to fuel it up with 91 and see two things. Do we get more Ks or less Ks out of the tank? And, uh, you know, the butt dyno. Do we have more power, less power? Does it feel any different to ride uh, on 91? I'd like, though, because you've got a bit more knowledge on different bikes than, than I do, and probably Matt as well, I'd like to, to, to pick your brains on the topic of what fuel should you run. Uh, I mean, the, the MT-07, the book says 91, and I run 95. Am I wasting my money, or is there something in that? As many people will tell you, the, the base fuel in New Zealand, most of it is all the same. When you start paying more money for fuel, you're paying for a different... Uh, additive pack and the additive pack has things in it like um uh, detergents um octane boosters um so the more you spend on a fuel yeah you get your base fuel but even 91 has got um different manufacturers or different um producers and sellers of fuel like shell not not shell zed and all the rest of them they um add their own additives into that base fuel to get so when Caltex talk about Caltex with added Tecron that's going to make your engine last longer, it, they're not actually just putting marketing spin on you. There, there is actually something in there. They'll be adding a detergent to it, um, which helps to keep 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 your valves clean, to keep um, the inside of the motor clean, to to clean the um, inlet tract uh, and the valves on the way into the motor. You are getting a better fuel for that money um it's not just a case of will it go further or will it go faster you're, you're getting a fuel that's cleaner burning with inside uh, within the inside of your engine so if i'm running 95 when in a bike that should be running 91 by the book uh is that going to be better for the engine in the long run do you think am i am i going to get benefits that i don't know about yes it'll, it'll have a more um uh, a more powerful detergent pack within it I mean, it's, it's not something that you're going to benefit from on a day-to-day basis, but if you kept a, a bike for a long time, it would have less um, deposit buildups inside, uh, in, inside the motor. Um, so uh, on the valves, on the um, piston crown, um, within the exhaust. But if, you, if you're buying a bike and selling it every two years and your bike doesn't call for 95, there's no real point running it because you don't care whether your engine is cleaner inside and if your bike is designed to run at a certain octane like your bike on 91 the only the only time you'd benefit from having a um, a higher octane fuel is if the motor was tuned to run on a higher octane fuel so you might see a slight increase in kilometers on on the 95 fuel but it's unlikely to be a lot but it'd be interesting to see, yeah. 
for sure. So we've um, we've just clocked uh, two hundred and twenty-eight kilometres until the light started. Fl- well, the the gauge started flashing on the bike. I'm I'm apprehensive to go too much more than that, even though I know I've got at least probably four litres in reserve on that bike, but. We'll fuel it up tomorrow, and um, we'll see. The difficult thing is because this is just a one-off, and and you aren't you can't reproduce the exact conditions that you did with the last tankful. It's only very wildly representative of uh, of what what you did in the other one. So if there's a huge difference, it'll probably be down to the change in riding conditions or traffic conditions or or something like that. So, but it's still an interesting thing to do for sure. Um, I know people who are a bit more fastidious about their um, fuel nerdism, and they'll they'll run twenty tanks of one type of fuel and write down in their little pencil notebook exactly how many k's they had, and then they'll do twenty tanks on the other one and see what difference they get. And that would be more representative, but of course that would take a lot longer. And have you ever had a, a scenario where you um you've had a daily and you know how many k's you get out of a tank, and then that fluctuates? Have you have you ever been in that situation? Like uh, with my bike, I, I fuel it up. It costs me between eighteen and twenty two dollars every time I fuel it up. I fuel it up once a week. I do about two hundred k's on a tank. Sometimes I get to say a Thursday, and and the bike's asking for gas when I usually fuel up on a Friday. You know, do you ever get something like that? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess um, for someone who's into your stats and your details as much as you are. You could um, make a note of uh, traffic conditions each day, and uh, that would then uh, you could look back and go, ah, the traffic was a lot slower on Wednesday and uh, and Monday, and I had a bit of oh, that's actually a fair point. Or maybe the weather was really good that week, and I hammered it over the hill instead of dannering it. Yeah, yeah, I never thought about that. And you had a you had a mad five minutes. All right, well, we'll we'll, um, we'll leave it at that, and we'll update next week if we do see any change after running a week of ninety one octane. Now, this is a topic that Ben and I, uh, that Matt and I, were going to hang on to, Ben, but uh, I think you want to talk about it. The question is, do you wave? When you're riding along on your motorcycle, and motorcycles are notoriously friendly, except for probably sports bikes versus Harleys and vice versa, generally you get a wave or you get a nod of the head or sometimes maybe the, 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 the right-hand foot comes off the peg and kind of a random faux leg wave thing. Uh, do you wave? I don't wave, no. I'll nod. But I don't wave. Ah, too too cool for the wave. Too too cool for the the handoff. No, my, my hands are on the handlebars. My hands are on the handlebars. Why am I taking them off? Okay, how, what kind of nod do you do? Is it a downward nod, an upward nod, or do you like tilt the head? No, it's just a downward nod. Downward nod. Okay. Why do you think Harley riders or cruiser riders don't wave, or do they wave to themselves? Does a Harley rider wave to a Harley rider, but a Harley rider won't wave to a an R one rider? You're asking the wrong man. <laughs> Maybe they're too school, uh, too cool for school. We'd like feedback on that. Podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. In France, the wave is super cool. Because you're on the opposite side of the road, You because uh, you're on the right, what they do is, is they take the left hand off and they have a V, like V for victory, but, but hang it down low. Like, yeah. And that's pretty cool, actually. Is that a, is that a common thing? I've ridden in France a lot. Um, and especially things like... if. If you're off to the um, Le Mans 24-hour motorbike race, everyone's like, cool. What about your Mexican wave? What about your Mexican wave? <laughs> <laughs> Is that when you're riding in a in a convoy of motorcycles and the first guy stands up and then sits down and the second guy stands up and sits down? 
The third guy stands up and sits down. The fourth guy stands up and falls off. Well, no, theoretically, it could happen if, if one guy waves and the guy behind waves and the guy behind waves, then, it, then that, that'll become a, a hand wave that just goes, wee. There's a question. If you're riding along and three riders ride past you in the opposite direction, do you wave three times? Do you nod your head three times? Or do you kind of wave as a, as a or nod as a kind of a conglomerate? I'm, I'm nodding at all of you. This is for, all, like, take a third of this each. Yeah, I'm... I'm a. If you get a nod out of me, it's one nod. I'm not. The, I'm not like a noddy dog in the back of a car going along. Now we told you about our brand new show, High Beam. It's coming out on Tuesdays, along with our standard KRP episode. This episode that you're listening to now on a Thursday, High Beam. It's uh, in association with our friends at BMW Motorrad New Zealand. Uh, we're doing two things, Ben. We're celebrating 40 years of GS bikes. Uh, you were probably around to test ride that first one. Exactly. And why wouldn't you? Well, as I found out from uh, this second episode of High Beam, that came out this week. Uh, that first GS bike was an absolute outstanding bike well yeah um one thing we could do is you can maybe link back to the one we did from the bmw um uh rally back in january remember we did that podcast from that maybe that's something we could um yes we will we'll chuck that in the description and chuck it up on social media as well that's the quintessential country for riding a gs is the molesworth and the rainbow what a beautiful weekend that was i'm looking forward to my turn to ride those roads well let's make it happen let's make it happen when when you get your bmw t700 stop it stop it high beam it's our new show every tuesday as i said in association with bmw motorrad new zealand uh the first episode we talked to paul kane uh, a gs rider from way back second episode this week we delved into the genesis of gs bikes next week we are talking to a gentleman by the name of gary williams he has one of six New Zealand new 2005 HP2 Enduros. And he's a damn good egg. So look out for that episode, episode three of High Beam, next Tuesday. If you haven't listened, get in there. Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Uh, and, and, and if you want to leave a comment, we'd absolutely love you for it. Um, and, and let BMW Motorrad New Zealand know that you're listening to their podcast as well. In fact, as this is about BMW... We should have some umpa umpa um, music with lederhosen kind of music. I, I thought I'd get us some umpa music. All right. Well, there is one more thing we need to do, Ben. In the in lieu of Matt not being here today, we need a dad joke. Well, I think that's you, your domain. All right, I got one. I got one. My mate rang me last week. He was in tears. His wife had left him and took his Bob Marley CDs and his satellite dish. The poor bugger had no woman, no sky. Oh. You're no fun for these dad jokes. Um, what do you call a, ma- a magician who's lost his magic? Ian. <laughs> Terrible. And while that music's playing, this has been Kiwi Rider Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and share this podcast with a riding buddy of yours. Hey, you can't beat a bit of umpire music. I've been right. <laughs> I still am, Ben. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time.